welcome, welcome, welcome. Do we have protocols? And welcome to the FLCCC Weekly Update. I'm Betsy Ashton. Great to be back with you. Creative Director of this Alliance of Doctors and Nurses and Medical and Other Scientific Researchers. And yes, they've been working for months studying all phases of COVID and creating different protocols on what they've learned works best to prevent and treat people exposed to it and those suffering from it. This new video is great at showing you which protocols to use when. Now, we're going to show it again at the end of this program. And by the way, we record these programs, so it'll be on the website tomorrow. You can catch up at any time. But even more important, this is something you probably don't know. If you have one of the protocols and it's working for you, just keep checking back because our team is constantly working. They are reading, they're reading studies, they are talking to other physicians in other countries all over the globe and constantly updating based on what they learn. So the, the protocol that you have today on early treatment may change tomorrow as they learn something new. Now, there's another important thing. You have to, every time you go to the website, flccc.net, every time you go there, check your browser's cache or history. Go to the history thing and kind of remove the history for a few days because otherwise your browser will go back to the old one, the old website. They do those things. You know, a nine-year-old can help you do this if you don't know how to do it. But it's important to do because you really do want to have the latest and the best. Now, we have a great program for you this evening about successes that doctors have had in two different states to pass laws that make sure that they can prescribe safe and effective off-label medicines for their COVID patients and that no one can prevent their patients from getting these medicines. Yes, things like ivermectin. Our top doctors, Pierre Corey and Paul Merrick, are going to introduce you to two very bright, savvy women who made sure that legislators in those states, people from both parties, got accurate information, scientific information about COVID prevention and treatment, what doctors and nurses see and know, not just the narrative that seems to be all over in so many media outlets. So first, know that we have two nurses working behind the scenes right now and throughout this program that they will answer questions that you type into the Q&A. And the doctors will be back and they're going to answer many of your questions right here live after the discussion. But we want you to meet these two outstanding women and hear about what they did that you might be able to do at home. So Pierre and Paul, are you ready? Yes, we're, yes, we're ready. Pierre, are you, are you one of the ladies that helped us? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't do as good a job. By the way, I love that video. It's cool. It's yeah. direct to the point and it helps people. I mean, we that's all we try to do. So, this yeah. is cool. so you know, we always focus on, you know, the bad stuff. But, you know, we've had some really good successes, uh, particularly, you know, in a number of states, New Hampshire, Tennessee, Missouri, Nebraska. And, you know, I think the success in New Hampshire and Tennessee was truly astonishing. But you know what? It, it was due to our two heroes, um, two, you know, wonderful women who just took this on and were relentless. And I mean, it was just truly astonishing. Yeah. So, you know, we need to bring them on. There's 
We'll call her Bernadette. I don't know. She's got such a funny last name. There's Bernadette, <laughs> who's a tiger, and Melissa, who's who's a lion. And my goodness, they were really they were outstanding. I we I totally we have so much admiration for the efforts you guys did. We're so happy you guys are coming on tonight. And so anyone listening, um, Melissa is a a state le- uh, state representative in New Hampshire who reached out to me. I think we met through uh, Daniel Horowitz, I think, Melissa, right? Originally. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, and Melissa, you'll hear about it tonight, but she's just been a legislative phenom in, in protecting the patients of New Hampshire from captured federal agencies. Is, that's how I view this. Um, and so we appreciate your work. And then for, for those at home, uh, the little backstory is Melissa first reached out to me and asked me to help and testify in, in, <laughs> in, in, in the government hearings in New Hampshire. And I was tired and exhausted. And I asked Paul to do it in my steed. And, and Paul had to go. And he had lots of travel nightmares and was delayed. And his flights were canceled. And it was six below zero. And he didn't bring a hat to New Hampshire in the middle of the winter. So uh, I just thought, Paul, they, they should know the background of how this legislation happened. Yeah, and then Bernadette. Well, just to put it in context, my flight back was on the same day that, um, um, you know, the new uh, Mobile 5, whatever, came, came out. 5G. 5G. <laughs> and the planes were grounded because of 5G. They were grounded. Melissa, this started a, a huge, not a huge fight, but Paul told me that I owe him like he, he was after me for weeks after what happened to him in New Hampshire. But now he's happy because of what happened. At least he didn't come in a snowstorm. I had Stephen Petty come for my mask bill and it got rescheduled a bunch of times because of snow. So I'm just <laughs> and it literally ended up happening in the middle of the worst snowstorm of the entire year. So, I mean, but yes, we are very grateful that Dr. Merrick came and um, we will talk about the successes that we had because of the bill that he testified for. Um, and we actually got a lot, lot of medical freedom legislation through this year. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then Bernadette, uh, I call Bernadette an OG. She's one of the original gangsters. Bernadette, how long have we known <laughs> each other? You reached out to me before we were nobody. And I was on your like uh, podcast or radio show. Mm-hmm. I don't even know when we met, like early in the pandemic. It was really early in the pata- pandemic because I was then in Washington State and I've got an informed life radio uh, show and I invited you onto that. Now on our website, as well as another website that I, I've put up called Healthy Immunity Now, healthimmunitynow.org. Um, I began immediately posting uh, um, early treatment protocols as individuals like you began to publish them. So it was still just what the Eastern Virginia medical, um, (laughs) you know, when I first posted about it. Remember that institution? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so it was just thrilled to have you on. And and it's really interesting when I go back and think about that interview where you were on the journey of discovery, because, you know, I I had been on this journey of understanding FDA fraud and and corporate capture of CDC and all that for a long time. But some of these rabbit holes were new to you. And I think you still had a little faith in in the system. I was a newbie, Bernadette. You were like the wise, you know, veteran. And I was just like... (laughs) You know, I was like trying to tell you, Bernadette, it's really bad. <laughs> you were yeah. like, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Well, anyway, so Bernadette, so Bernadette and I met when she was living in Washington. 
Uh, she's a fearless and tireless advocate. She was already trying to get good, uh, good sound information out to the population. You and I did a couple of podcasts. Um, and then you moved to Tennessee. You'll tell us about why and how later. But mm-hmm. uh, once you got to Tennessee, you, you hit the ground running and, and you ignited uh, probably one of the the most potent um, legislative victories in in protecting citizens against, uh, you know, the federal regulatory capture. And so uh, we'll talk about it tonight. Okay. Yeah, you know, Bernadette did it single handedly, you know. No, that's. Oh, my goodness gracious. I... She was no. a tiger. She just would was relentless and would not stop. Well, I, I was relentless in my own little role that I played, but I have got to make sure everybody understands that I was just sort of the face of the voice that shouted out to you guys, to the advocates. This was massive teamwork. This wasn't Bernadette alone. And in fact, day one of session, I went with Amy and Kristen, my two awesome other sort of moms on a mission. Day one of session, we went and there were already legislators looking at ivermectin bill language, right? There was another bill that we introduced that did get passed, thanks to you guys, that recognized natural immunity. Um, So we're very proud of that. But I've got to say, you know, in Washington, I attempted the same things for years. But in Washington state, where, you know, the, the mood is not as it is in Tennessee, all of the good bills would just die in committee without even being heard. It was very frustrating. I've got to say it's much more difficult to to get behind bills in Tennessee because they actually move and you have to follow them and you have to bring people in and you have to follow up and you have to hand carry things. And then once the bill passed, holy cow, nobody's telling the public that it exists. So then you got to step up to the plate and tell the public, hey, there's this new law. Did you know? Yep. And and it continues. Um, so I was the noisy, uh, noisy one, but uh, no, I did not do this alone at yeah, all. No, <laughs> we, we know that, but you, you still, I mean, your efforts and drive have been uh, really, truly admirable and, and, and both of you really. So you know, tonight, um, let's talk about, you know, what's happened, what you guys have been able to achieve. I believe we have uh, slides. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, Livio, thank you. Oh, look at that. Boom. I, I mentioned them and they appear. Um, you know, this is kind of cool. These are not our friends, uh, the Federation of State Medical Boards, right, Paul? <laughs> but they have handy little information. And this is this kind of cool, right? It's, it's a map of really pending and active legislation throughout the United States of America, with just very few exceptions, where the people and their representatives have have seen what's going on and they've tried to to make local and state level um, legislation to really, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And when we look at Melissa's track record of the legislation she passed, I mean, you know, to protect them against vaccine mandates and uh, protect the autonomy of doctors. And, and you know, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the top of the heap was really the, the ability for Tennesseans um, to obtain uh, ivermectin on, um, on a standing order. But, um, but you see, this is a lot of activity. You know, this, this pandemic and, and what's happened from the federal level has not gone unnoticed and the people are fighting back. And, and you can see that in this map. And I think that's just a, a really uh, impressive one. And, and that's why Paul and I were so excited to have you guys on because you guys were 
were, were um, just uh, have been amazing. And, you know, so, so Melissa, I, I'm going to turn it over to you in a second, but this is what I want to say. You know, the bill that Pat, that Melissa got to pass both, I guess, houses or chambers, right. In New Hampshire, right. Senate and, and house okay. was um, similar to Tennessee, which was going to make ivermectin available to the average citizen on a kind of a standing order type thing. And we'll explain what that means later, but it literally was going to make available um, ivermectin. And by the way, you guys know that Joe Biden and company stole that idea and applied it to Paxlovid, right? Because now pharmacists across the country can give out, dole out uh, Paxlovid like candy. Um, But that bill, and and that was the one kind of uh, bummer, right, Melissa, is that you got that through Paul testified both chambers passed it. It went to the governor's desk and he ref- and he vetoed it. Yes. And, and so that was like the one loss. But let's look at the, let's focus on the positive. If everyone watching can just take a second and look at this legislation, really, I think just essentially trying to preserve the medical freedom um, and autonomy of the average citizen against the onslaught of of regulatory capture and 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 totalitarian, you know, health tyranny, really. Um, and so, Ted, do you want to let Melissa tell us? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. So, Melissa, you want to just go through this and tell us, like, you know, this is what we want to hear. Like, what were the obstacles, barriers? How much support did they have? How difficult was this to pass, or was this like, you know, a generally consensus? Like, people got it. And the government support, like, like, what was it like passing all this stuff? Sure. So um, this is a, this is from my my organization, Rebuild New Hampshire. Um, we were formally reopened New Hampshire. We were formed um, uh, during the lockdowns, and uh, uh, we are a grassroots organization. I'm the executive director, and really, it was a grassroots effort to get all of this passed. But I will say, so let, let's start with the negative first. So. We had three bills vetoed this year. There were very few vetoes uh, because we do have a Republican trifecta. So typically it's like everyone kind of agrees, but uh, we had kind of the three ones that were the the sexiest (laughs) and got the most amount of media coverage for the ones that he vetoed. But sometimes that's part of the, the game of politics, right? So Essentially, there's been a group of legislators that have been working um, for a very long time on medical freedom issues. Most people don't realize in most states, there's a very limited period of time that you can actually submit legislation. In our case, we have less than two weeks a year. So we threw a ton of things. I think we had more medical freedom bills submitted originally than any other state. And some of them are very big, right? And they they get very flashy, like the ivermectin standing order bill, like my ban on mask mandates bill. Um, like our state of emergency reform bill, and they were they got a lot of press. Um, he vetoed, but then you sort of get the consolation prizes. Like like it's almost like the rest of these just sort of floated through behind the really hard ones, right? So for if I'm starting at the top of the list here, HB fourteen sixty six was always our number one goal for getting passed. Uh, actually, over the ivermectin bill that Dr. Mary came and testified for, this one basically says something that used to be completely common sense and rational and normal, and you would have never needed a bill to say it. But 
But what it says is that a doctor cannot have their license threatened for off-label prescribing of drugs, and a pharmacist cannot have their license threatened for off-label filling. Um, so that is essentially, you know, that's been sort of the root issue, right? I have doctors telling me all the time that they're afraid to prescribe ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or whatever because they're afraid they're, they're going to get threatened with their licenses. Pharmacists claim that they can't um, fill it because they'll lose their licenses. So this is the bill to remove that threat. Melissa, um, Melissa, real quick. Like you said, like this was the top one. Can you just tell us a little bit, like, was there any, like, how much resistance or barriers did you have to go through with this? Because this is so common sense. You don't need legislation. None. This is already yes, established. There practice. actually was no, so most states have not been able to pass this. This is very similar to a bill that has gone into many states and they could not pass it. We had such a fight with the ivermectin over-the-counter bill, and the Democrats completely stonewalled us on it. They hated this bill. It, there was so much vitriol about this bill. But 1466, because it seems so common sense and mild behind that one, um, had bipartisan support. It just floated through the House. It floated right. through the Senate. The governor signed it without an issue. He said right. it was like a no-brainer, right? right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So then we have a bunch of bills um, about, uh, well, actually moving with, with treatment, we have HB 1439 that says that uh, patients have to be able to have a visitor in the hospital, a patient advocate if they want. Um, they, obviously, we saw this in hospitals throughout the country, even people who weren't COVID positive, they were not allowed to have visitors. Um, so that is our, our visitation bill. Um, well, Paul, Paul, do you want to say anything about that? Because that's a big one, right? I mean, Paul, you and I have we've been battling that for two and a half years. I mean, that that's massive. Now, does this, Melissa, does that bill a lot, like, so even if they're COVID positive, acutely ill, a family member has to be afforded access to the patient or like what? what, what um, exactly yes, it does, does it? allow them. Yeah, there, there was a provision put in the Senate. I, I can't completely remember where there can be exceptions, but it's very rare circumstances. Um, you know, let's, let's be serious. If somebody um, wants to take that risk, right? Shouldn't they be allowed to take that risk? Yeah. Yeah. So, but there, there was a provision in there, you know, so that they could, but, you know, we were seeing things like, you know, people were going in for a stroke and, and, and no one could be with them. Right. I mean, for weeks. And, and so this, this bill was very much, um, necessary this was i believe if i remember right it was pretty partisan democrats did not like this bill really? um which is this bizarre. One yes. oh wow yeah i, I, I remember say, having roll call votes melissa as as a doctor you know uh, uh used to be a hospital and icu doctor i mean covid was um and, and a lot of our listeners know this but COVID was really sad in the hospital. I mean, I took care of patients for weeks who eventually died. They never saw anyone until the only policies of visitation was the acutely dying. So sometimes when we had to withdraw support, you know, families could come in and observe the dying. But for weeks, there was no visitation, no communication. And and, and so I, I think that bill is, is just, it was, that's huge to me, seeing what I saw, the sadness, the frustration, the inability for patients, oftentimes impaired and encephalopathic, like they weren't thinking clearly, they clearly needed an advocate there. They clearly needed someone, you know, yes. uh, to support and advocate for them. And they didn't have that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the patients were basically imprisoned 
Yeah. They lost yeah. their rights. And the only way is for a family member to be there or someone to advocate for them. Right. So, yeah, and we also I mean, we saw a lot of issues with people um, being removed from the hospital, visitors being removed for disagreeing with medical care, especially with COVID positive patients. Um, so, the, you know, that was a big issue here as well. I was getting calls constantly um, for any time that they questioned, right, the COVID care. Yep. Yeah, so you know what is it? What's remarkable for me is, I mean, you look at these list of bills, and they're all so common sense, and they protect the patient. And you know why? Why did we have to fight so hard? And why, you know, only in in New Hampshire? I mean, this should be, you know, throughout the country because these are just so common sense rules and patients' rights. So I can give you my perspective. You know, when when I presented in front of this committee. So it was somewhat interesting. You were there, weren't you, Melissa? Yes, yes. So why it was interesting is, you know, I testified in in Virginia um, in their similar environment. They gave us five minutes. The woman wouldn't let us speak. She gave me 20 seconds. She wasn't interested in what I had to say, and she shut me up. What was really interesting in New Hampshire is actually we had a discussion. You know, it went on for a long time. You were up there for about a half hour. Yeah. And although you could see that it was partisan, you know, half wore masks, half didn't wear masks, they at least were interested in engaging in a conversation, in discussing issues, asking questions. And I think that's just such an important principle which we've lost is you know engaging in a conversation hearing people's point of view even if they don't like the point of view asking questions discussing things and i think from my point of view it was a really productive exchange because they had ideas we spoke we agreed we disagreed but it was a conversation and i think that's what's been missing in this whole pandemic is that we not have a conversations because basically science and medicine and life is having a conversation, exchanging ideas, having a discussion. And I, I found it really interesting because I felt that with the discussion, some of the people who were somewhat resistant were more open to what I had to say. I, I was very impressed. Um, overall, the committee, um, worked very well together on both parties. Um, like I said, you know, 1466 was bipartisan um, out of committee. I think it had a unanimous committee recommendation. A lot of these bills ended up having unanimous committee recommendations. The ones that did not on my list. Hey, Livio, can you um, go back to that slide? The ones that did not have unanimous that I remember specifically, um, were 1495, I like to call this the New Hampshire will not be New York City bill. Um, it basically says that we will never, ever allow any of those vaccine passport systems that popped up in every major city in America to come to New Hampshire. We will not do that. Um, 1455 is... Oh, wait, really Melissa, Melissa yes. that was not unanimous but it, no, passed. it it part it, it was partisan. It passed, and the governor signed it. Yep, everything on here. Pure, uh, it was purely it partisan. It was purely partisan. Yes. Wow. Um. So it was fourteen fifty five. That one was pretty contentious, actually. Um. 
It was the Speaker of the House's bill. This is a bill that every state in America needs to pass. And the sooner, the better. Um, I think we're the only ones. It basically, it's a nullification bill. Okay, so make states states again, make states great again. Uh, we have a federalist system for a reason. Now, uh, the state of New Hampshire cannot tell the federal government that you can't have a vaccine mandate, but we can darn well say that we will not enforce your mandate. If you want to do it, then you have to come in here and do your dirty work for yourself. Now, the reality is the federal government does not have manpower to enforce any of their mandates. They need the state to do that themselves. So we said that the state of New Hampshire will never enforce a federal vaccine mandate, nor will we share vaccine data with the federal government ever again. And that- That passed, Melissa? So I hope that every other- Yes, everything here passed and is law, yes. And I hope so, that every you know, other Pierre, Pierre, what's so astonishing is why does this happen in New Hampshire? Because it's you know, the live free or die state, Paul. You no, know, it should happen in every <laughs> damn state because these are just so obvious protection of human rights and patients' Absolutely. freedom. Absolutely. Um, we are the live free or die state. That is exactly right. So we um, are the freest state in the country in a lot of ways. And we're hoping to make ourselves every day more and more free. But um, I am 100% in on nullification bills, and this that is one that needs to happen. Now, I want to take that and kind of move it forward. There was a time that the state of New Hampshire and every state in this entire country shared vaccine data with the federal government. And let's not be fooled. This is very much about data collection, this whole yep. thing, okay? So back when the vaccines first came out, the federal government told every state that if you are going to get the COVID vaccine, if we're going to give you the COVID vaccine, you must share your data on who gets the COVID vaccine with us. Now, that directly violates the New Hampshire Constitution that provides um, um, a privacy from government intrusion. And I railed about it at the time, and it didn't matter. It was like screaming into the wind, right? But you never let a precedent go in government. This is something to really remember is that if something bad happens, it will only snowball from there. You must rectify or it will only get worse next time. So we put in HB 1608 and that says that the people who were mandated to be part of our vaccine registry, okay, um, Every state has a vaccine registry, by the way. You should go and see if yours is voluntary. And if it is, you should figure out how you can opt out of it. Um, Ours is voluntary, some are mandatory. And um, there was a time from January 2021 to June 2021 that there was an emergency order that required everyone to be in this database who got the COVID vaccine. So 1608 requires that those people be notified that they are in this database and allowed to withdraw if they wish. Wow. Cool. Yes. So that is, yes. Now vaccine databases are a really big thing. So your vaccine registry, this is something also that I I hope that everyone um, can look into here a little bit. Um, Most states are an opt, if if it's not mandatory, if it's voluntary, it's an opt-in system. I mean, it's an opt-out system, meaning you have to know that you're in it so you can sign a form to get out of it. 
And we don't feel that that was giving people full informed consent about their privacy. So uh, HB 1606 made us the third state in the country to make us an opt-in registry. So basically saying you have to fill out a form to be able to get in to the oh, database, brilliant. not the brilliant. other way around. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. And for 1488 also um, prohibits discrimination for not participating in the database because, by the way, your information in that database uh, is shared with private institutions, daycares, schools, uh, pharmacies, um, researchers constantly. Wow. Yeah. So those are my registry bills. Um, Another really important one, obviously, we're seeing cases throughout the whole country of people being denied, specifically transplants, for not getting vaccinated. And so... HB 1003 prohibits uh, healthcare workers from discriminating uh, based on patients' vaccination status. So wow. you cannot be denied care or services based on your vaccination status. Melissa, does any other st- has any other state done that that you know of? Not, I think there's one or two, but okay. we, you know, I, I don't know. Tennessee did get one for COVID-19 only, but we did get one passed that said you can't discriminate for either the recipient or the donor being vaccinated. And there was a little baby recently that uh, was a hue and outcry, little baby August, to get him on the transplant list when the doctor didn't want to do it because he was not vaccinated. So, Melissa, that's really cool what you did. You know what? We, 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 you know... We're in awe of what you've done. Now, maybe Bernadette can tell us what happened in Tennessee. It was slightly different because um, Bernadette's not a legislator. She's just a mom. But uh, she got a lot done. Yeah, well, it was pretty cool here in Tennessee. Like I said, day one of session, me and my gals, we go and she, and they've been here for years. So they they introduced me to all these awesome legislators. Um, I believe I learned out throughout session about half of them took ivermectin when they had COVID. So you know, um, <laughs> although, you know, we did. That is to- a common theme in legislators. Wait, yeah. <laughs> the horse dewormer, Bernadette, they were taking horse dewormer. For yeah. COVID? Would you believe it? You know, well, it's Tennessee, um, Pierre. You know, oh, yeah, they're, they're crazy of, in Tennessee. Yeah. And they got lots of horses. Yeah. A, a lot of them were getting it from their doctor who's prescribing it. And there were some um, uh, independent and compounding pharmacists who were filling. Um, you know, so it, it wasn't impossible to get, but it was challenging to get. And so there were several versions of ivermectin bills that were already floating out there. And I credit um, Senator Shane Reeves, because at one point when you doctors were there, um, we all sat around a table with this um, senator who is a pharmacist, and he understood all of the little fiddly bits that have to do with prescription drugs and the troubles that we might get in. There's state level, there's FDA, all that. So he said, you know, I know of a way to to word this. And so he actually wrote the amendment that replaced all the bill language that gave us what ultimately passed. Um, And so what it is, is if it requires a pharmacist who wants to do it, you don't have to do it, to enter into a collaborative agreement with a physician who will sort of oversee this. Um, and they create um, some paperwork to make sure a screening tool, fact sheet about ivermectin, that sort of thing. And once that's in place, anybody can walk into this pharmacist 
in pharmacy say they want to buy ivermectin. There's a little screening that happens and then the sale occurs. Nice. And then, um, yeah. And then there's some other steps that the business has to do because it's still a prescription drug and collaborative agreements have certain paperwork that they have to do, but there you go. And I had the honor and pleasure of being the first person in Tennessee, in the United States to buy ivermectin over the counter. Yay. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) I did the compounding lab in um, Johnson city, Tennessee. Dr. Denise Sibley is the brilliant doctor who you guys met and know. Yep. Yep. And she, yeah. So I met her up there and it was a pharmacist that she, she knows and works with. And so we got her done. And, and now if you go to healthyimmunitynow.org to the ivermectin tab, I'm trying to keep up to date there, a listing of the pharmacies that have decided to do this, to take advantage of the law, to enter into collaborative agreements with physicians and to sell ivermectin over the counter after this, this screening um, occurs. And I think we're up to 15, 16 places now throughout the state. Wait, so, hold on. And- Bernadette, 15 or 16, mm-hmm. what's your assessment of that number? That's well, not a very large number. It, it's not. What's going on is the law also asked the um, Board of Pharmacy to promulgate rules to set guidelines for individuals to follow to, to do this. Um, but the, the bill also said this, this law takes effect immediately uh, public health dependent on it, right? So what that meant was right now, the Board of um, Pharmacy has not yet written any rules. They, it, that's a tedious process. They just had a meeting yesterday and they still are not ready to, to file the notice of, you know, the that we're doing rulemaking. Is there so a deadline have, on that, Bernadette? Like, did, did the legislature didn't say you have 90, like, there's no, there's no, no like, Okay. No, there's no deadline on the Board of Pharmacy for getting that done. However, the law um, went into effect. And so savvy pharmacists and physicians are going ahead and doing it themselves. They're writing up the fact sheets. They're creating the screening tools per the law. They're following the collaborative agreement, you know, which was an an existing law, and they're getting it done. It's just taking some time. And then as people learn, they're going into pharmacies that they know that are friendly and saying, hey, this pharmacy is doing it. Why don't you? And then usually they end up finding me and I, I send them, um, I help guide them to the information they need so they can set up the collaborative Bern- agreement. Bernadette, you know, you know, Melissa kind of gave us like a little bit of an overview of like what had consensus, what was a little contentious. And obviously the, the bill that, that you got passed, that you helped get passed in Tennessee, that was the one that died on the governor's desk. But going back to the Tennessee effort, um, you know, Paul was there. I was there. Ryan Cole was there. Richard Ursa was there. I'm probably forgetting others. Uh, Dr. Um, Malone and John Littell. Yeah, Littell was there. Was Malone there also? Yeah, maybe not when you were there, but he came back with Ryan Cole. So it might have been a different time. I I just remember Ryan Cole and Ursa were absolutely masterful. I Mm -hmm. I think they were arguing for either natural immunity or or some other bill. Right. Um, and that did pass. Yeah, and that did pass. But, you know, the um, I was supposed to testify. Oh, yeah. I was about to testify, if you remember, I had a little hissy fit, because yeah. <laughs> like, everything went sideways. Can you remind me what happened there? Okay. It, yes. The session was, tr- was immediately stopped as I was about to testify, and all the legislators left the room. What was that about? 
that will see what we did was when we had this dream team assembled, you and, and Dr. Paul here, um, Richard, Rosa, John Littell and Ryan Cole, you're all coming. So we thought we looked at all the bills that you could speak to because we had some great bills as well. And one of them was this massive patient bill of rights that contained yes. all of this wonderful stuff. And so at this one particular hearing, that bill and several others, you were set to testify for. Right. And what happened was there was this big kerfuffle and Representative um, Blasek probably understands what can happen is if you put out a bill draft before it's ready and people get in the head, that's the bill they're going to be voting on, even though the language completely gets amended before it actually ends up before them. So what had happened was that committee, um, they didn't want to second the, the, the patient bill of rights was brought forward. Nobody would second it. And that's when a lot of anger. Why erupted. not? Why, Why not, not hear it? Right. It ended the session. I'm like, I yeah. traveled all the way there. I was ready to give it my all. And all of a sudden, like everybody's leaving the room. And I'm like, what, 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 what? Yeah, it, it got nuts. It really got nuts. Why was... didn't it get seconded? Hold on, I have to interrupt this. So, okay. You have to second a bill to be able to have a hearing on it? Yeah, somebody introduces it and then they second it to, to say, okay, now we're going to discuss the bill. If it doesn't get seconded, it doesn't get heard. Okay, so there's a lot of reasons why New Hampshire's a live for United State, but one, one of them is because we have such an open and transparent government. Every single bill must have a hearing. There is no, that's it. There's no other choice. And every single bill must be voted on by the full body. A committee cannot kill a bill. Yeah, and well, I, 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 well, love I that. wish I had gone to New Hampshire instead. Of this. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I also want to say that that same day that you guys were all there in Tennessee was my Senate hearing for the ivermectin bill, and so I couldn't get any of the doctors because they were all in Tennessee. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> day. Well, that's that's another yeah. sad comment, Melissa. Yeah. Is that there's so few of us to go around? Like there are when I, local doctors, started, a lot of them are not brave enough to speak out um or they've been very like the few that are were so under the wire you know dealing with covid patients so yeah i you know That's pierre so, i i yeah. think the real the real political um ugliness that we saw going on at that day in that meeting was the fact that we were fully entering with that patient bill of rights hospital territory yeah. i mean these um, everybody on that health committee, even though they they stand for medical freedom, you know, they're being very um, pressured by the whole industry. I mean, we're, it really entered into um, good ground and we're coming back uh, next year. And I, I say we, but I didn't take leadership on that. There's some other fantastic people here in, in Tennessee are taking the leadership role. I'm just happy to support them in any way that I can. But yeah, there, there was just so much. Um, I mean, that's why activism is, is it's so important to get in there and begin to understand the nuances of it. Because even somebody that, you know, stands for medical freedom, you know, there's shades of what, how brave they are standing up. Yeah. Right. And, um, you get those nuances it's almost easier in a state where you've got your, your red and blue sides when, when almost everybody's red, then you're having to kind of parse them in different ways, you know, <laughs> and find out their stance. But, um, so I would say like, as far as the activism goes, 
I mean, we've got an excellent example here in New Hampshire. So it, I encourage everybody, go read what passed. And now you've got model language. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can go back. Um, I do encourage, though, if possible, for individuals to reach out to the sponsors of those bills or the activists that were running them, because sometimes bills pass, but the language wasn't ideal. And it's like, if I could do it over again, I would change the sentence or something. Um, for instance, here in Tennessee, our original um, natural immunity bill got changed in the legal department. And it passed in a form that we weren't really completely comfortable with. And we do plan to go back next year and edit it because with the natural immunity bill, they defined naturally acquired immunity as the tests, right? There, oh. there was, there was like an and put in that we wanted removed and they wouldn't take it away. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we don't want, we don't want this to be a show me your papers state, even for naturally acquired immunity. Um, that wasn't the purpose of this bill. It was just to acknowledge that natural immunity exists and is at least equal to, if not superior, than so the So, Bernadette, does yes. natural immunity exist in Tennessee? Yeah. <laughs> it does. So, this, so this in Tennessee... Really this goes back to Melissa's point about, like, yes, you have to pass a law to recognize natural immunity. It's, it seems... it's really sad and pathetic. But I, and I will... I just want to point out something. Yes, on the activism front, a thing to understand about politics, it does take many bites sometimes to get the full apple. So um, on my list, HB 1604 was actually to fix the law from the previous year. So in 2021, we passed the Freedom and Immunizations Act, basically saying that the government could never mandate a vaccine for any kind of public benefit or all the whole bunch of list of things. And uh, but it exempted state medical facilities. There was a carve out to not have it apply to that. So this bill removes that carve out, right? So wow. you do sometimes have to you constantly be taking bites at the yeah. apple. We've been doing that with state of emergency reform now for two years as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's another thing that I really, uh, every time I do these things, I, I, it's, it's because I, I want people to go and look at their own laws and see what's going on, right? A big part of the COVID issue was state of emergency powers. Yep. We had never really used state of emergency laws in for a disease before, and we had no idea how they could be used and abused. And so um, it gave it gives the executive power, executive branch, unlimited power to basically do anything they want for an unlimited period of time. So I do really urge people that you should be going and looking at your state of emergency laws. And if your state is still in a state of emergency for COVID at this point, I don't know, probably move. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, hey, you guys, so so Burnett, one of the one of the other the one of the other things that we wanted you guys to talk about, um, not only to celebrate the achievements and the strategies and what we all had to do and, and the importance of those kind of legislation and and Melissa, your your achievements, those multiple bills, you know, fighting against this medical tyranny, but we want you guys maybe to talk about from your two different perspectives, one as this incredible advocate and the other one as a legislator, how can others in other states, like, can you give them some guidance or advice on, you know, the rest of the country? And because, I mean, listen, we hold New Hampshire and Tennessee, you know, at the pinnacle of, <laughs> of what, what was needed and what was achieved. But, you know, 
as you can see from that first map, that's not a sentiment that's lost on the rest of the country. And, and, but they don't have, they haven't achieved those successes. So maybe you guys can talk a little bit about like how people can take that and, and, and and inspire them to effective action. Who do you want to go first? Either one, but why don't you start Bernadette? Okay. So um, I, one of the most important things is, is a little bit out of the advocates control. And that is, the medical freedom stance of the people currently in office. So I, you know, there are advocates doing exactly what I did in Tennessee in all 50 states. I was doing it in Washington state with no success because, you know, you, we've got Governor Inslee and it's Bill Gates's backyard and the whole thing. Um, so I guess step one, if you're in one of those states that are not medical freedom um, in office, Step away from this and go over and get them in office. Number one job is to make sure the people representing you stand for medical freedom. That's so that stanforhealthfreedom.com right now has um, voters guide. They've done surveys of candidates running in all 50 states. So you can go check it out and, and um, you know, yeah. Um, and so, so that is a huge part of the, the puzzle. And then, so somebody new wanting to become active and be part of this force to make it happen, no matter what, if your state is friendly or not, first go try to find your medical freedom informed consent group that already exists in your state and join with them because they've got, some of us have been in this, you know, like a decade, some for 20, 30, 40 years, they understand the system and, and how it works and what to do and joining them, volunteering, working with them. And believe me, some of these people are exhausted. They need new help and people willing to take that torch and carry on. So join up with them. The next thing you need to do is you need to get to know your, in, your legislators as people, you know, right now, a lot of people, they're just terrified to go speak to their senator representative. These are people, you know, they, they, you know, they belch like everybody else. I'll use the polite version of that, <laughs> you know, and so, but, and, and once you do it, so get a buddy, get arm in arm with somebody who's less afraid than you. Um, and buddy up, go meet your legislator, begin to have the conversation, let them know where you stand. And like my good friend, Amy here has got this binder. It's a red binder. So I've mimicked her. My binder is now red too. And in it, you want notes of what you want to talk about. And you've got, you've got the science, you've got the facts. So you go in there and you're not all emotional and weepy. You can be passionate, but professional. Mm. say, you know, this is the science, this is my concerns, this is the policy, this is the change I want, and this is what I'm asking you, right? And then the other thing that's really important is as you learn to do this, you have to leave room for them to speak. Because in the beginning, we all go in and we open the fire hose and we drown the poor legislator, and then our 10, 15 minutes is up. Um, so allow time for real dialogue to happen. And I really encourage people to begin this when there's no session going on, when you can meet them for an hour, you know, go take them out to coffee or meet, you know, or lunch, and you can have these amazing conversations. One session starts, you don't have any time, you know, they're on the run. You can't really convey what you need to convey in 10 minutes. You already have to have that established. 
So once you get to know them as, as individuals and, you know, I mean, I tell you, you know, my phone rings and I, I, now I look at it like, oh, it's Senator Nicely. He's calling <laughs> me, you know, we're already talking about this and that for next year. And, and you get to know the legislative aides and it's, I tell you, I really got active when I was about 50 and I had no idea how much fun it is to go to your state capitol and strut down the hall because this is my gosh darn capital. Yeah. I'm an American. This is a republic. And this is how government works. Yeah. And so I'm respectful of legislators, even those I disagree with, but I'm not intimidated. I, I march in there and I, it's just, it's so empowering and it's so fun. Um, once you get past out of your, you know, push through your comfort zone there. Um, Bernadette, everything you just said in the last like three or four minutes, I, I, I think that almost needs to be recorded and split out because I think it just says wise, sound advice to those who want a corrected issue or, or want sound legislation result. And I think I think those are just very pragmatic on what you've learned on how to do it. And I, and I think that's great. I, I, uh, there's I, another way. Yeah, we could just clone Bernadette. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. And send it to. Are, are you talking about gene modification therapy? <laughs> yes. That, yeah. Is that what the FLCCC does now? Yeah, we do. We clone. We into cloning. Dolly, Dolly the clone. So, yeah. Melissa, what are, what is your words of, of of wisdom? Well, maybe I can go through a little bit about rebuild New Hampshire, um, and it might give some ideas of, uh, yeah. of how activism can work and how there is strength in numbers and how you create those numbers so you can all work together. Um, so we were founded in early April 2020, like I said, on the lockdown issue, we were formed as reopen New Hampshire. And uh, we quickly realized that the governor, you know, just hitting at the governor really was not super effective, but we did have lots of rallies and we list built. List building is very important. You have to build those lists of people so you can build your army so you can engage your army with the legislature. So we really shifted, shifted our focus in like May 2020 on the election in November. So to what Bernadette said, you have to get people in office who agree with you. And so we endorsed and helped run candidates for office. And we had 76 endorsed legislators win in November. Um, and that is a big part of how we started off successfully, right? And that, myself included, that's when I decided to run for office. I was not in office before. I had never been engaged in politics Wait, at this, this level before. Is this your first term, Melissa? Yes, this is my first wow, term. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and you were integral to all those bills getting passed? Y yes, I worked on all of these bills. <laughs> yes, I've been very busy. <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow. Um, my name is not first on any of them because the governor doesn't like me because I tried to impeach him at some point. So that's like <laughs> a whole other thing. Um, uh, but anyway. Wait, okay. And he, he held that against you? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Coach, we have um, a lot of questions in here from the audience and they're pretty good questions. So we'd like to get a few I, in. I, I hope they're for the legislators and, and the yeah. advocates. The, the, yeah. Me and Paul take the week off and they can answer questions. <laughs> they could. Okay, Betsy, you want to ask the B5 variant and whether they get pneumonia or not. Well, let me let me just say, sorry, Karen wants to know, are there any coalitions between those in Congress that we can support or state groups that are fighting for medical freedom? 
My advice is to not focus on DC. None of us have the tools to really affect change in DC. And that's just a reality. And it's, it's kind of like spinning your wheels. Your state is, is your best chance at personally having the tools to be able to affect change because those legislators, they're, they're your neighbors and they, um, you have a lot more access to them. They care a lot more about what you think. They're not really that used to being engaged by just grassroots efforts. So when they start get, getting that and feeling that, it's very important to them. Um, and, did you want to add? Yeah, Bernadette. Well, if I understood the question right, they might be asking about are there state groups? And I'm, yes. I'm wondering, like medical freedom informed consent groups, and there are. Um, you can go to healthchoice.org and you can find a list of affiliates um, that some state groups are underneath that umbrella organization. Informed Choice Washington is one of those. You can go to Children's Health Defense and they have chapters in some states. And if you're having trouble finding um, an organization in your state to join up with, you can email me. Um, I'd be happy to um, contact in informedchoicewa.org. I'd be happy to try to help you connect with activists in your area with those state groups. But I also want to add, don't forget your local, very local, your county government, because you can get some um, really good people in office there as well and work with them very closely. Like here, I, 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 we're just so blessed. My husband and son and I, we moved to East Tennessee. Within a couple of months of us moving here, the um, somebody had submitted a resolution to make us a constitutional sanctuary and the county commissioner passed it unanimously. So we are now a constitutional sanctuary. We're not quite sure how that's going to play out day to day. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding places. Tell me what to... that means. What Maybe is a constitutional sanctuary? Oh, but I, I have to ask. Yeah. What does that mean? Again, it well, means that, you know, your, your county won't enforce anything that's unconstitutional, which they shouldn't anyway. Yeah, uh, and it it encourages you need legislation county. for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, here's a question. Now you've talked a lot about advice to get people active, but here's a specific one. Maybe you have something for Joseph O'Donnell, who is asking Melissa, "What advice do you have for me to get the medical right to refuse ballot initiative passed in Ohio?" Either one of you actually might want to jump in. Um, I'm not the person to ask about this because New Hampshire is like the only state that doesn't do ballot initiatives. So I actually don't know anything about it. Okay. Bernadette, you want to? Um, yeah, I've never done an initiative. We've looked into doing those sort of things. I just know because they're based on the number of signatures you have to get generally are based on who, how many people voted in the last election, and it can be massive. Um, I know others did do a really good, right in the heart of COVID, um, an initiative um, was um, done and they set a record for the number of signatures on it. I forgive me, I can't remember the exact topic, but it, it was freedom related. Uh, it didn't it didn't pass, unfortunately, on the vote because there was so much money put in um, misinformation describing what the initiative was about. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm not more help there, but yeah. Okay. Now here's a question from uh, Donna Bassett in New Hampshire. It says, I have been to five different pharmacies in the Dover Summersworth, New Hampshire area, and each one said they will not fill a doctor's prescription for ivermectin. What's your best advice for her? Uh, oh, uh, Melissa, what's going on? 
Send the cops. So again, they, you can now go back to them and say, well, why not? And they'll say, well, I'm afraid of having my license threatened. You can say, well, there's actually a new law in New Hampshire as of a few weeks ago that prevents you from ever having your license threatened. So you can, you can try to call their bluff. I mean, that's sort of my main purpose with that law is to say, to take that talking point away from pharmacists, right? Um, there is a compounding pharmacy in Salem. I can't remember the name of it, but um, that would be your closest one that I know will fill. Good news. Okay. Here's one. Hilmar Shaman wants to know, did either of you panelists notice if some doctors and pharmacists who were against ivermectin before the bills passed suddenly started to use it actively? Any, any information? I have, not, I have not personally noticed a difference. I think the reality is that these bills are sort of, well, the ivermectin specific ones, right? It's sort of like um, a hit at the whole agenda, right? Um, and and that's really what it is more than anything else. But otherwise, I don't think it's going to like change a doctor's mind necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I could just say here is that um, last time at the Board of Phar Pharmacy meeting when the new ivermectin law was first discussed, um, and Dr. Sibley gave public comment at that. Afterward, there was some discussion with some various pharmacists in attendance, and they were really impressed with what they said. And it did sound as if they may, she may have changed her mind in that meeting. Um, so, but I think a lot of it we don't hear about. I think at first we're just hearing about those who already were willing to fill prescriptions are now signing on to this new law with a collaborative agreement. But, you know, who knows? I'm a hopeless optimist and I just keep educating and believing the best in humans, even though sometimes they don't seem to deserve Bernadette, it. if I lived in Tennessee, I would yeah. be the collaborating physician with every pharmacist in the in the state. I would just write yeah. them a letter and be like, hey. Need one? I'm right here for you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. By the way, all of our viewers want both of you ladies to repeat your contact information for them. Uh oh, because you're uh -oh. gonna you're gonna get people. Good luck, you. Melissa. Good luck, Bernadette. This is we're gonna be busy now. We and we have some very specific questions again. Uh, Brian Emerson wants to know: In what ways are states like Tennessee and New Hampshire different or special? that they were able to pass such legislation. You wanna go first, Bernadette? Go ahead. Um, well, I would say number one was the willingness of the majority of the legislature to pass the bill, to hear, to listen with open minds um, and to pass the bill. I think that was the number one key to our success, really. But how could that be predicted, Bernadette? I mean, I mean that's a, it's an interesting statement, but like, yeah. Why can't we say that about Ohio or Pennsylvania or like, how did you know that Tennessee would have that kind of cross or majority support? I, 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 I didn't know. I always go hoping for the best, you know, and we did bring in the dream team after all. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, just sometimes magic happens. You get the right people in the right place and you just can't give up in, in these states where it was a, a near miss go back next year, keep at it. You know, every single day we are seeing the, everything that they're putting out there begin to crumble and shatter and crack. And so, you know, we just got to keep out there and we have to stay not in an, I told you so mode, but with grace in our hearts and open arms and say, welcome, let's save humanity here, come aboard. So, you know, I don't know why um, in other friendly States, they weren't able to do it. 
unless they were trying to do it bigger. I, I really think that the senator who said, let's try the collaborative agreement approach, which is the middle ground between being truly over the counter and yet still controlled a little bit, um, was really the key as far as the design of the legislation. Yeah. You know, some of our people, uh, now Patricia Rosenstein says for, for both of you, Bernadette and Melissa, most of us are living in states without any of the laws New Hampshire has. Yep. What is the first step? How do we get started? They need to get Melissa to move to that state. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Let me go back to why I think New Hampshire, it's some things that does make New Hampshire unique. We have eight, we have the largest representative body of any um, state. We have 424 legislators that only represent 1.3 million people. So that means that we, re it's really, it's a low benchmark to be able to get people into office who who believe the things that you believe. Um, it also means they can be removed from office pretty easily. So now, Brenda, you're, you're like the nice version of me. I'm definitely the bad cop. And I am totally fine with that. Okay. If I give a politician a bad day, it's, it gives me joy. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I love it. I have a great time. And that is because, and, and so that this can be done anywhere. Okay. You must engage the grassroots. We have an army built in New Hampshire. Now New Hampshire people are just a little bit more used to grassroots efforts for different things, but um, we have them. We keep them informed. I keep them informed from the inside. And if I say, let's say um, I get a call from a Senator saying, you know, I'm going to kill your bill next week. And I'll say, well, and this is based off a true story. Um, I'll say, well, if that's really how you feel, then I'm taking my state rep hat off and I'm putting my rebuild hat on and I will be letting my list know, have a good weekend. And then I hang up on them. And then I tell my list that uh, Senator so-and-so is going to kill XYZ bill. And here's his personal cell phone number. And you should call him and let him know what you think of that. Politicians are kind of weak for the most part. There are very few that actually stand on principle. It's really just a matter of where they receive pressure from, okay? Ah. So the issue is with medical freedom is that they often will receive more pressure um, from lobbyists because a lot of times their campaigns are being funded by pharma, okay? Yep. So they will receive uh, phone calls from the medical lobbies, from the, the hospital lobbies, from the pharmaceutical lobbies. And what the goal here is with activism, grassroots activism, is to make it seem, at least to them, that the pressure from your group, from your grassroots organization, from the people, is significantly stronger and that they should just cut their losses and accept that maybe they're not going to get that donation next time. That's really, that's really interesting what you just said. That, mm -hmm. I, I, like, I like that description of what, what it's like to be a legislator and how, what they respond to. That's interesting. They do. And I actually will feel it myself sometimes on different issues, right? And I also have to remind myself sometimes that these are sort of activist tricks. It's not really necessarily. But one a really great activism trick, by the way, is um, to take a politician that you're trying to influence and um, you want to make it seem like they're, you want to make their inner circle give them the most amount of pressure because when they feel this inner circle pressure, they think it's everywhere, but it's actually only this inner circle. Wow. Okay? wow. And, and, and another little, like, this is like my, my 
trying to get as much activism knowledge out to everybody. You, when you're going up against a vote for a bill that's going to be close, you need to score all your legislators, okay, on a five-point scale. So we're talking like a double positive would be somebody who you know 100% is going to vote for this bill no matter what. A positive means you think you're going to, they're going to vote for it, but, you know, not quite sure. Um, a zero is they're neutral, could go either way. And then there's negatives and double negatives, right? You don't want to focus ever your attention on the negative and the double negative. You will never, ever change those people's minds. What you need to do is start moving people over to that double plus column as much as possible. Okay. Those are the people that you want to focus your activism efforts on. So again, this is why building groups is very important. Get your groups together because they need to send all those emails, right? I would say, I, I don't do this. Okay. My group does this. I will let them know. I just need the information. Okay. I, I, I read the calendars every week. I tell them what's coming up for a vote. I tell them who needs, you know, to be heard from, right? They're the ones who call them. They're the ones who email them. They're the ones who attend the hearings and they're the ones who text them. We have a little bit of everything. And that is how the needle is moved. Yeah. I, 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 I want to add that, Melissa, that there is a great organization and maybe you attended one of their classes as I did because you're, yeah. you know what I'm thinking of. I yeah. can't remember the top of my head, but there's a Back great the training, training. Yeah. yeah, that will, um, that teaches you in an all day course how to do exactly that. It's fabulous. But I want to add a little story real quick. We've got some great mamas here in, in Tennessee and there was some surprise legislation. And so we did a big campaign and people were showing up and phone calls. And there was this gate, great mom named um, Gail and the legislator who had this bad bill, she was in his office talking to his LA and he opens the door to go into his office and he spots her and he shuts the door and backs out. Two <laughs> minutes later, she's still in there. He opens up the door to come in and she's still there and he shuts the door and backs out. This legislator was afraid to face a mama bear. Love it. And he, he ended up pulling the bill, the bad bill. It was fantastic. Wow. So it, you know, you don't need, you know, all those letters after your name, although we love our people with letters after their name, if you're earnest and you're honest and you're professional and you're passionate and you come armed with the right information and you're tenacious and you get loud and you get all your mama bears around, um, yeah, we're, we're a force to be reckoned with. That's right. Oh, the, the course name, everyone's asking about the course name, and the course name is uh, Foundations for Applied Conservative Leadership, FACL. Um, and they will only train conservative activists, but, um, they, cause they don't want to train their enemy. Um, but, um, <laughs> that, that it, there are, there are other activism courses for different, you know, but it's, it, it's pretty much all the same. I mean, this is how you make yourself effective. It's basically a psychological thing, right? You have to make politicians feel certain things and think certain things. I mean, it's interesting, but yeah, I will say. COVID has brought out the mama bears. I will include myself in that. When lockdown started, I remember looking at my daughter's crib and thinking, where, where is this going to go? What's going to happen to her? And that is when I joined with Reopen New Hampshire. And that's why I ran for office. So we have this one. Hey, Betsy, maybe yeah. you, we should, we have an issue which maybe we should address. We do. And it involves you. Well, before we get to that, I just want to say how much uh, I, I, I really enjoyed tonight's webinar and listening to you guys and your efforts and strategy. I, I mean, I learned a lot. I, I really, really, I 
because you guys really do move the needle and we help to move the needle. But, yeah. you know, it's um, it's so important, everything that you guys share. So I, I just want to thank you guys again for coming on. It's yeah. Just and cool. it's obviously teamwork, working all, all together for the mm-hmm. same goal. Yeah, That's right. If people want to get in touch with me, I'm at Melissa for the number four, Merrimack, M-E-R-R-I-M-A-C-K.com. That's my um, campaign website. And I have all my uh, personal contact information on there. Great. Maybe somebody could put it in the chat, the um, email addresses of Melissa and Bernadette, because... They're very lonely people, and I want to hear from a lot of people. <laughs> and make sure you put Bernadette's home phone number on there. Too. <laughs> now, we have a last question, and this is for Paul. A follow-up question for you from a webinar earlier this month. This is from Diana, Dr. Merrick. Should not you wean yourself off of proton pump inhibitors? Uh, as I have heard, it can be dangerous to drop suddenly. Also, I know you weren't serious when you said to throw your PPIs in the toilet, but maybe you can re-advise everyone not to do that. Uh, thank you. Yeah, so, so that was tongue in cheek. So probably not for a number of reasons, not to throw your medications into the water system. And Diana is correct. So you shouldn't stop a PPI cold turkey because what can happen is it can cause rebound and you can have severe reflux esophagitis. So there are a number of things that you need to do. So I think you need to get off a PPI. Something that I actually learned today, believe it or not, Pfizer settled a $53 million lawsuit because they did not admit that their PPI protonics cause kidney failure and kidney dysfunction. So maybe that's another reason to get off a PPI. So, and they weren't designed to be used chronically. That was not their point. So what you should do is you should slowly, you know, just like any drug, slowly decrease the dose. Don't stop it to cold turkey, you know, decrease it every other day and then every third day. So that until you get off. Secondly, you can use a a H2 blocker such as famotidine or ranitidine if you have symptoms. The other thing that I found, and um, uh, our nurses helped me to locate this, is there's something called aloe herbal stomach formula. So you can... (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. I just, I'm listening to you. Paul, try to clean up apparently a, a little errant comment that you made, and I'm enjoying so it. So the other thing I was told is use uh, apple cider vinegar. So, you know, because I was on a PPI, and I tried apple cider vinegar, and let me tell you, it tastes damn awful. It tastes awful. Uh, Christina said what you're going to do is dilute it in lots of water, but I even did that. It tastes awful. <laughs> so... But I suppose it depends on what you want to do. So the bottom line is cut back on your PPI. Don't take it chronically because it causes all kinds of stuff. Don't put it in the toilet. Don't put it in the toilet. Get an H2 blocker. If you can take apple cider vinegar, try that. Or here I have my aloe herbal stomach formula. This is it here. I don't know if you can see it. Whoopsie. There we go. And I think I got this from Amazon or whatever. It seems okay. So I think there are 
you know, natural herbal alternatives. I don't know why I find this hilarious, but okay. so that, that's the story Can we about let Christina. Them? Say something because normally what we do when we wrap it up here with you, and there we had a lot of other questions. Needless to say, for the doctors, folks, will have to come back next okay, week. Let Christina. Christina can come on and she can talk to us about because Christina's got ideas about uh, apple cider vinegar for your uh, reflux. Are you with us, Christina? I'm here. Bring, bring her in. And, and we've had two nurses on behind the scenes answering questions. Christina was one of them. Uh, and Pamela Burnham was another. Thank you, ladies. But Christina, do you have a, a comment to make as we as we wrap up here? Well, so what, what I know, and this is only because my ex-husband did this, he would dilute the apple cider vinegar and shoot it like before and after meals or when he was having acid problems. And he was able to get off of the PPIs. So, and I know lots of people do that. I'm not like an expert, but that's my what, personal what, experience. What does shoot it mean? Cause I get a little worried when I hear shoot it. You know, <laughs> Pierre, like you shoot a shot of alcohol, you would shoot the apple cider vinegar too. Yes. Okay. Oh, cause I, I don't know if we're like creating new problems while we're fixing old ones that's all <laughs> created. I'm like a little worried here. You just drink it really fast, Pierre, in a little bit of shot glass. You know what I mean? So, Pierre, it tastes so awful. It tastes so damn awful that you want to do it I really think quickly. you should have three more shots of that for penance. Yeah. It, <laughs> tastes, it tastes really bad. Dr. Oh, this is... <laughs> I have this to say that really I like it. So, book. you know, Paul might not like it. I happen to like apple cider vinegar tonics. You can put a little oh. bit of honey in there. So, sorry. <laughs> it's probably really good with gin. Anyway, Pamela <laughs> and Christina, how, how'd you guys do tonight? Yeah, you knocked down a lot of questions. Yeah, we had about 175. We answered 123. How about that? How come not 175? Because there's only two of us, <laughs> and we want to stop the kids here, and we have lots of legal questions, and I'm not an expert in that field. I get it. I get it. They're all going to call our two ladies, who are, are, you know, Melissa and Bernadette. They're going to get all those calls. So, oh, yeah. Now that you, they have your home phone numbers. Um, <laughs> so I'm not a medical the, professional. The thing, <laughs> I want to mention at the end is that, you know, for all our like kind of viewers and listeners, um, you know, although I made kind of jokes about Paul going up to New Hampshire and all of us going to Tennessee, but it, please realize that, you know, we're, we're, we're actually quite a little organization and, you know, Paul and I devote a lot of time. We try to answer every call for support when as experts to support legislation and wherever, and we, we travel a lot and, and these are burdens and, and, and for a little organization, you know, fighting, well, I don't want to say mass insanity or may, maybe I want to, but, but, you know, really powerful forces and really trying to affect change, you know, from, from a small fighting force, we, we need your support. So um, just think of the FLCCC in, in your future giving, or even your giving tonight um, to help support us, you know, fighting alongside these warriors, like, like Bernadette and Melissa. I mean, they, these, the brilliant people and and we applaud their work and and we're just so happy you guys came on so thank you and i think yes, everyone here thanks you and and so um you guys you guys have flccc in your hearts i know you do <laughs> yes indeed and, and on my vehicles yeah <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> oh, good. good 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 and a so few guys other things been, you guys have been a great resource for me so i just wanted to thank thank you guys so much you're always there 
Thank you. Thank you. And a big thank you to all of the rest of you folks out there. Just a few closing remarks uh, for your support of World Ivermectin Day. Uh, for spreading the word and for your generous donations to them. All funds go to REACT19, which offers support for those suffering from C19 vaccine adverse events. This event made ripples around the world. Uh, take a look at a picture someone sent us from Vancouver, Canada. Do we have a picture there somewhere? That's in this, okay. Uh, and our doctors, by the way, as Pierre was not kidding. They have been wildly busy lately from events like World Ivermectin Day to treating patients to doing countless media interviews. The fun never, never ends. You're having fun, right? You guys in those airports when the planes are delayed and everything else. But this slide shows some of the recent media to find the links to them, be sure to check our social media sites and subscribe to our newsletter and visit our website. And while you are at the website, be sure to check out our hospital guide. What to know before you go. We have packed it full of tips and information so you can be fully prepared if the day comes when you need to go to the hospital. Also make sure you look at the Math Plus Hospital Protocol, which was just recently updated. As I said, updating is important and happens and make sure you're getting the latest. It is a document geared for medical professionals, but it's good for everyone to familiarize themselves with it. And now this week on Long Story Short, Dr. Bean is looking at what makes you more likely to develop long COVID. Uh, the episode drops on Friday, so look for it on YouTube, Odyssey, or at flccc.net forward slash Dr. Bean. And next Wednesday, we are going to have some very special guests on the webinar because Paul and Pierre will be in Washington, D.C., meeting some of our donors and taking part in a discussion of crony capitalism with uh, Senator Ron Johnson, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough. And if you're interested, that event will be live streamed on the American Conservative YouTube channel. And with that, a reminder that everything the doctors do, they do for you folks, you know, and you and me, all of us. And we just as Pierre said, we can't do this work without you. You know, if you can help us by becoming a donor, thank you. Thank you. Whatever you can afford is just incredibly appreciated. We are a small little, we are really a tiny army, but we have good people and um, they're making a difference, trying to save lives and trying to have doctor, trying to get doctors and nurses where they can actually do their job properly with the best judgment that they have. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now let's have another look so you can figure out which protocol is right for you. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.